We come to the second reading of Scripture, which is also the sermon text for this morning. Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26, as we continue our sermon series in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. I notice that's on page um, 909 of your pew Bibles. I invite you to stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas, the son of James. All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take the place of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles." The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we do ask that you would open our ears to to hear your word, to receive it, and to really receive it for what it is. The voice of God, your very voice to us. And Lord, as we now hear the preaching of the word, Lord, as it conforms to your teaching, may may it be received as the very word of God applied to the hearts of his people, of your people. And we pray this all in God's, in, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The book of Acts is a book of action. We've seen that already. It's, in fact, it's one of the things that attracts people to this book. It's why people like to go there. Uh, it's because there's all sorts of things happening, uh, special effects, as it were. So they really happened. Um, you know, uh, Jesus going up into heaven in, in a glory cloud, um, the very cloud from, um, from the book of Exodus at the Mount Sinai surrounds Jesus and takes him up into heaven. So you have that. And then just a, 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 one chapter later, you have 
the Spirit of God descending with tongues of fire and people speaking in languages that they didn't know before. And you say, this is, this is quite something. And, and, and we're only getting started because you're going to see miracles and people who are dead brought to life and people who, um, who are sick healed. And you're going to see the Spirit moving in ways that just shake, shake the world. So what do we do with passages like this one? The one we just read where the action feels more slow than exciting and the special effects are missing, as it were. It just feels like business of the church. In fact, it looks a lot like the church waiting, waiting for the Holy Spirit to be poured out, waiting on Jesus to return. Wonder, what, what do we have to learn here? And, 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 and I confess, there's something in me that when I read passages, passages like this, my first instinct is to just go from verse 11 to chapter two and skip it and get to the exciting stuff. And friends, that's a wrong impulse (laughs) because there's something here that the spirit of God speaking to us wants us to hear. In fact, he's showing us how to wait because we're going to see that all of life isn't lived between on, 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 on mountaintop peaks. All of life is not lived on those high points. In fact, there are lows and there are highs and there are plateaus in the middle. And the the, the Christian life is full of waiting. So how are we supposed to engage in that way? How are we supposed to live in that waiting? How is the church supposed to live in that waiting? With active expectancy. With hope in God's promise. That's what this passage is going to show us. So I want us to see a picture of this waiting church um, as we say, what is God saying? What is God showing us here? What do we need to learn? And then I want us to see that there are lessons here for a waiting church. And then we're going to see that all of this is good news for a waiting church. So we want to see this picture here and then the lesson that, that, that emerges from this picture that we just can't miss. And then we need to see how that lesson is good news for us today. So we see this picture. Um, if you were to have a camera back in you know, 30, 30 AD and snap a picture of the, of the earliest church, what would it look like? What would they be doing? Well, they'd be, they'd be gathered in an upper room in Jerusalem. We heard about it, right? And you would see in that picture all of these disciples that were named real historical figures who, who had testified about the Lord Jesus Christ. You'd see James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas and, and all of those men. And you'd also see along with them their, their wives and also women who were, who were following Jesus throughout his ministry. And in addition to them, you'd also have Jesus' mother, Mary. And the sons that were born to Mary by natural birth. Jesus' Half-brothers, as it were. And all of these people are, are gathered, and you could take this snapshot of this picture of an early church, and, and what would you see? You would see them waiting in a room. This large room. Who knows what was furnished there, but it doesn't matter. They're, they're sitting there, and they're waiting. And as you would take snapshot after snapshot, you would see them in different poses. They're gathering together, and then the next snapshot, they're bowing in prayer, and then the next snapshot, you see Peter standing up, and you see church business being done. 
And what I think God is showing us here, in fact, what I'm confident of is this, that God is showing us what a church does as it waits, as it waits for the spirit to move. What are they doing? What what can we learn? First of all, the church is gathering. The church is gathering. Don't miss that. Now, Jesus says, not long from now, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out upon you. Until then, wait in Jerusalem. Now, they could have done a lot of things when, in, in waiting. What could they have done? They could have sat in a rocking chair and just kind of waited it out. They could have checked their news feed, as it were. They could have just, you know, um, gone to business as usual, maybe caught a few fish, made some money. But that's not what they're doing. They're waiting, but their waiting is an active kind of waiting. They're not twiddling their thumbs They're engaged in gathering together. That's the first thing you see. Don't miss this. That they're all coming together into that upper room for fellowship. Now, I've heard some people say to me over the years, and sometimes uh, maybe you've felt this way. You know, I'm really interested in Jesus. I wait with him. But I'm not really interested in, in his church. I don't know. I don't know what I think about organized religion. I don't know what I think about the church of Jesus Christ. I, I'll take the Savior, but I don't know what to make about gathering with this church. And in fact, I don't want to do it. Have you ever heard someone say that? Something like that? Something like that? Yeah. I, hey, many of us say that kind of thing. Because it's difficult, isn't it? You say, well, it, it's easy for me to love the Savior and, and to follow Jesus' teachings. But, but what about but the, all this business about the church? People are difficult, And yet, what what does the Bible show us here? Right from the beginning of the book of Acts, we see that there are no lone rangers in the church. There are no people who just, Christians who go off and do life apart from the gathering of believers. It just does not exist. You say, I want that. You can't have it. it. It does not exist within the church. Here's why. Because when Jesus gathers a people, he brings them together and he forms them into a community that meets. And they bear one another's burdens and they deal with each other's weaknesses and their annoyances and they work through it. And and they're they're there for a reason because they're there together with active expectation that God is going to move through them as a body, as a people. No lone rangers in the church. There's no cowboys who wander off into the desert of of Christian living. Because the church is a body. The church is where God has designed for us to wait patiently and productively together. And so friends, you're here together. You're here in an upper room, as it were, waiting for God to work. And I want to tell you right off the bat, you're at the right place. Every Lord's Day, when you're here, you make the priority to be here. Do you hear God's call to worship? You're at the right place. This is where God has designed for you to wait for him to work. What does Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 tell us? I think it's worth turning there. I'm going to turn there. Hebrews chapter 10. Says this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
Well, this is important. What does a waiting church do? What's the, what's the first picture of a waiting church? Well, they're gathering. They're gathering together for worship and for meeting. Well, that's not all we see. As, as we see this, uh, another snapshot taken, now the gathering church is bowed in prayer. Hands open together in prayer. This, the, the whole, what, do we, what do we see in verse uh, 14? All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. All of them are doing this. All 120 of them. Now, you would see the snapshot and you would say, it doesn't look like prayer is doing much of anything. In fact, I, I want to ask our kids, have you ever seen people praying? Have you ever opened your eyes when the adults are praying and, and say, well, it doesn't look like much is happening. You know, sometimes it can feel that way, right? Like, Prayer isn't getting much done. Almost like it's just kind of twiddling our thumbs. But I want you to know that here in our passage, we see that prayer is the most powerful action of a waiting church. It's the opposite of just, you know, sitting in a rocking chair back and forth. It is engaged dependence upon God. And so what we see two, two features of this prayer. First of all, it is persistent What are they doing? They're praying over and over again, devoting themselves to this. It's something that just keeps going where they they, they keep saying, Lord, send your Holy Spirit. And then later that day, Lord, send your Holy Spirit. We, we, We need you to do this. We can't do it on our own. And then the next day, Lord, send your Holy Spirit. Over and over and over again. They're not growing tired of asking for the same thing. Why? Because they've learned this from Jesus himself. What did Jesus say back in Luke 18? You ask and you keep asking because your father gives and he hears. And, and it's, it's your importunity, as it were, your, 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 your insistence that somehow plays a part in, 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 in some great mystery. God hears our persistent prayers. And so you, you can see it, this is not inactivity. This is deep activity as they are bowing themselves before God persistently going to him in prayer. But there's more to the snapshot. They are also unified in prayer. They're praying together. You can almost see the pictures. All of them have their arms, their hands open, lifted together to God. And, and they're praying for the same thing. It says with one accord. Now it's interesting, um, you know, our congregational prayer. You just heard Pastor Pepo come up and pray in behalf of the whole congregation. Now, I, I was talking with someone this week and, and we were chuckling because when, when we were kids, we used to call uh, the congregational prayer, the long prayer. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, yeah, it's, it's the long prayer. Maybe, maybe that's when I need to go use the restroom or something because you know, it's the long prayer. And um, you know, the, the long prayer is actually, here's how you should actually understand it. It's the together prayer. It's the together prayer. In fact, all of the prayers in our worship service are together prayers. But, but that prayer in particular, the congregational prayer, I used to not really understand what it was about. That's why I, I was like, oh boy, here it comes, the long prayer. But if I really understood when I was a kid that that, that prayer is when the pastor comes up and, and, and representing Jesus leads all of the people in doing what was done from the very earliest days of the church. Now that's cool. 
That's exciting. That's waiting with purpose. That is God's people together, gathered from the far reaches of the earth, and they're coming together, and they are with one voice saying, God, help us. We need you. And they're praying for specific things, but not just, not just a list of, of, of sick people in the congregation, that too, but also the kingdom is in mind. The big things that God has promised to do. And what are we doing in that, that long prayer, that congregational prayer, that together prayer? We are saying, God, you've promised in your word to do these things. Now do them because we can't make it happen on our own. That's the prayer that's happening here. I want to read you a quote from a theologian who says, the life, the power, and the glory of the church is prayer. The life of its members is dependent on prayer and the presence of God is secured and retained by prayer. The very place is made sacred by its ministry. You hear that? You hear that the heightened way he speaks of prayer? I want, us, I want us to work towards that more and more in our congregation. God wants us to do that. You know, he, I'm encouraged by what I'm seeing. The prayer in this congregation. And when I hear people saying, I'm praying for you, and I know they mean it. We need to do that more and more. We need to grow more and more comfortable with this being the very lifeblood of our church, our praying to God, our calling out to him. So be thinking about that. Prayer. Something we can grow in. I've never met someone who, uh, who, who didn't get to their more mature days that didn't look back and say, I wish I would, I wish I would have prayed more. I've never met someone who didn't say that. Everyone I've ever met has said, who is a Christian, who gets to their older years, says, I, I, if I could go back, I would have prayed more. Because it's such a privilege. Let's lay hold of that privilege. And so the snapshot goes from gathering to, to praying. But then as they're praying, there's another snapshot, and it's Peter standing up and speaking, doing church business. Because as they're praying, and as they're reading the scriptures, God's very word, something is, is just bothering them. And it's that they are, in a sense, incomplete. How are they incomplete? Well, they're missing a guy. Who are they missing? Judas. Judas Iscariot. And we all know what happened to him. We, we heard it rehearsed in our passage. A, a very tragedy. As Judas um, betrayed Jesus and then goes to his own destruction as this very visceral and, and visual way of, of what wickedness does. It eats a person um, from the inside out and destroys them as they give themselves over to it. That's what happens to Judas. But I want you to see this, that Judas's destruction was, was seen by this early church as Satan's direct attack upon Jesus' mission. G uh, Satan's direct attack upon Jesus' work of doing what? Building his church. Now, why is that? Because there were 12 apostles that Jesus put in place. And, and, and what did they represent? They represented the 12 tribes of Israel risen from the ashes. The 12 tribes of Israel continuing God's church from the ancient days and bringing it to its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So when, when, when you heard earlier um, uh, last week, the, the disciples asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They weren't far off. In fact, that's exactly what the 12 apostles are starting to do. Restoring the kingdom to Israel. They represent the kingdom of God. 
and its leadership. And so when, when, I want you to hear this. When Judas falls away, it's like the kingdom of God has just been battered and attacked, but it, it is still standing. But to go out into the world um, on mission, to be witnesses with only 11 guys, that's like a football team going onto the field with its, with, with, without a wide receiver. That's like missing a key uh, part of, 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 the, of what is about to happen. And so what does the church need to do? They need to appoint someone. And Peter sees this. How does he see it? He sees it from the word of God. He quoted Psalm, Psalm 69 and another Psalm as well and says, look, these Psalms are about Jesus, obviously. And so when they talk about one of his beloved falling away, and then, uh, and then another taking his office, we, we have to do that. We have to obey God's word. Friends, I want you to see it's a huge act of faith to replace Judas with another qualified man because what it's saying is this, Lord, we believe in your mission. We believe that your restored Israel is going forward. We believe that your church is going to prevail even if Satan buffets it again and again. We believe that from this point forward, the 12 stay in place and the faith that they pass on will only grow and grow and grow and grow. That's what they're saying. Do you see the act of faith that they have? Now, what we have here is this, this wonderful act of waiting and active expectancy of what God is about to do in his church. And, and, it's, and it's put in place through the, the selection of a church officer. Now, that's something that we do today, too. We elect, uh, we elect church officers. We have business in which we put deacons in, in responsibility of the care of the church and elders in responsibility of the care of the church. Now, we don't, um, we don't take stones and write names on it and cast lots in order to determine who they are. I think there's good reason why, we, why they do that. Very short and simple, because that was an old covenant way of, of choosing and we have here at the end of that, of that transition from Old Covenant to New Covenant, um, we see the apostles do this once, but never after it. We don't see it at all following them in the book of Acts. So we elect officers. And when we do that, friends, we are engaged in that kind of waiting, a picture of a waiting church in which we are actively expectant and ready that God is going to be building his kingdom. So we see people gathering, we see the church praying, and we see them preparing for ministry, confident that God is going to use seasons of training and installment and ordination to do wonderful things. That's what we see here. Now, what's the lesson for us? And let me, let me ask this. Why do we need to see this picture? Why is God putting it for us this morning? Friends, we are a waiting people. We are a waiting congregation. And I think all of us find ourselves either now or at some point, various points in our lives, in the waiting room, as it were. In the waiting room, in the upper room, waiting for God to act. We've seen him act before. We're waiting for him to act again. And we're, we're right there in the middle in a kind of plateau saying, what, what gives? And there's two temptations that happen when we're in that waiting room. One is complacency, right? To say, well, I guess I just kind of made it. I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm exactly where God wants me to be and I can just kind of go into cruise control. Spiritual complac complacency. The other 
error is this, to, to fall into despair and say, well, if I'm not there yet, I guess I'll never be there. And I'm sick of waiting. I'm tired of this. And, and, and you just give in to despair and sin and in hopelessness. Those are the two kind of opposite errors you can take on during that period of waiting. The temptation in both is, is to disengage to grow cold to these kinds of things that God has put in place in his church. Let me ask you, friends, what are you waiting on God to do in your life? Are you waiting to get to this new, new place in maturity? Are you waiting to get you know, past these struggles with, with, with sin that you've been, been, been battling? Are you waiting uh, for your broken body to be healed? Are you, are you waiting uh, to, uh, to discern what the Lord would have you do, what his calling on your life might be? And then let me ask the church, light of the nations, what are we waiting on? What, what, is, what, what period of waiting are we in? Are we waiting to see more men added to our leadership? Are we waiting to see more added to our numbers? Of course, all of us are waiting for Christ to return. We need to be on guard. And let me speak especially about the congregation. Uh, we just came off of particularizing as a church. We became a particular church, distinct from Covenant and Vandalia. And that felt like a, like, a, like a peak, right? We had a big celebration here, had a bunch of people um, come and pray for us, and there was excitement, there was ordination, there was installation. And then it, it, it's tempting after that for there to be these kind of periods of complacency, go through going through the motions, maybe even despair. I thought we'd be further than this by now. Just various kinds of thoughts like that. You know what I mean? Well, the Lord comes to us with this picture in Acts and says, friends, those are not your tasks. Those are not the kinds of things to be bothering your mind. You know what is before you. Your task is faithful waiting, gathering, praying, preparing, full of faith that God has designed the peaks and the plateaus for your good. And that his promises are true and that the peaks do lie ahead of us even if we don't feel them right now. So there are lessons here for waiting church. Do you you see them? Do you see what you need to focus on, friends? to take steps in faithfulness like the early church did? Well, finally, I want you to see this, that this is good news. Really, what we see in this picture is good news for a waiting church. Now, why is this good news? It's because Jesus is all over this passage. Even when we don't see his, his name directly mentioned, we know that he, is, he has his hands, he has his rulership, he has his kingship all over this passage. First, I want you to notice this, that what Jesus is calling us to do, what he wants to work in us to conform us to the pattern of this church in this picture, Jesus has already done for us. You know, Jesus never calls, uh, Jesus always does in us what he has first done for us. And we know this because what did Jesus spend his whole ministry doing? Well, waiting, (laughs) waiting. Waiting between the peaks, 
waiting in, a, in, the, in that kind of plateau, even, even, even that place of humiliation, Jesus spent most of his time praying, gathering with his disciples, and what? Preparing them to minister for him. That's what Jesus spent like his entire ministry doing. And then we, 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 we hear in Hebrews chapter five that Jesus was the one who called out to God with loud prayers and supplications in behalf of the saints. And so what Jesus is calling us to do in this kind of expectant waiting, you need to know this. It's the very things that he first did for us so that as we do them, we only get closer to our savior. We're only going to grow closer to him as a church as we lean into these realities. Here's the other thing I want you to see in closing. It's that these ordinary things that Jesus is calling you to do are the very things that he is working through in extraordinary ways. Notice what the disciples say as they pray. They pray and said, you, O Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen. You see, Jesus is working through their gathering. He is working through their prayers. He is working through the ordination of this man. And what is he doing? He's building his church. This is very good news because, friends, these same things, prayer, gathering for worship, gathering for fellowship and church business and ordination of church leaders, guess what? It's all accessible to you. These are things which Jesus is still putting before you and using today. So that it's never just a church service. It's Jesus working through his people as they gather to, 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 uh, to look to him as one. It's never just a prayer, never just a congregational prayer. It's Jesus interceding for us for our specific request. It's never just a church meeting. It's Jesus working through our, our, uh, our decisions as we search the scriptures for the good of his church to build it, to establish the 12 tribes of Israel so that the gates of hell will never prevail against this church. This is good news, friends. Good news because Jesus is at work in our midst. So let's praise him for this. Let's get to work. Let's lean in. Let's wait with expectancy. Jesus is on the move. Jesus is about to do great things. Jesus is doing great things right now. Do we expect that? Are we waiting for it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for what you show us in your word, a picture to be conformed to, but also a picture that gives us confidence that the very things that Jesus has been working through, um, in, even in the book of Acts, are still accessible to us. The very basics of, of the church gathering and praying and preparing for mission. Would you prepare each of us for mission right now, even as we're gathered before you and, and praying right now for you to, to move? Would you make us effective and would you do this not in our own strength, but because you know our hearts and you know the hearts of the leaders that you, you would choose to go forth? Would you stir us up and, and would you make the leaders of this church bold and, and valiant to do your will? And may the church follow and may um, all of every, every single person in this congregation have wisdom as to how, how to get to work as we wait for you to return. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.